0: My name is Lindsay Fraser, and it's a huge thrill for me to warmly welcome you, and that's not a phrase I've been able to use really in the really warm sense All Book Festival, to this event this afternoon. I am going to introduce you just to the host for the afternoon, our children's laureate, uh, Michael Rosen, and he will then introduce you to the rest of the party who will be entertaining you for an hour. And thereafter, I'm afraid I'll probably bring it to an end because... This lot could go on for hours, as you know, but it's a great thrill for me to be here. Michael is Children's Laureate, has, um, he's been so innovative with ideas and this tour or the A to Z poetry tour has been all over the country and he appears with uh, poets and, and artists uh, locally and we're absolutely thrilled that he's been able to come to the Book Festival and do it here today. So without further ado, We have a reputation for being a bit polite in Edinburgh, so I would like you to be really, really, really loud and noisy and give Michael Rosen, who got up at 3.30 this morning to be here, a huge welcome, clap and roar.
1: Hello! Hello, hello! Ha-ha! You think I'm here, (laughs) but I'm not because I'm asleep. And you can't see me because my eyes are shut. You see how my eyes are shut? And you think I'm talking to you, but I'm not. Because inside here, it's all furry. And it's asleep. And it doesn't know what it's saying. Like a lot of poets. We don't know what we're saying. And it comes out. It does. Hello, everybody. Is there anybody here who got up at 3.30 this morning? You did. Because you wanted a wee. Yes? When I was a wee-wee tot They took me from my wee-wee cot They put me on my wee-wee pot To see if I would wee or not When they found that I would not They took me from my wee-wee pot They put me in my wee-wee cot Where I wee-wee quite a lot! Thank you! Yes! Still doing it after 60 years... No, sorry, that's, sorry that that's very nice. So, did anybody else get up at 3.30 this morning? You did. Yeah, yeah, perhaps someone... Maybe one or two mums and dads got up in the middle of the night. What's the noise? The noise, oh, yes, that's right. Very good. Well, look, you're going to have a wonderful afternoon. We have some wonderful performers here. The first performer is somebody called Tom. It's an extraordinary name, isn't it? <laughs> now you think I'm exaggerating. You just do that with me. You know, like in comics, they have a whoosh, whoosh, and it says pow. So can you do that? Tom <laughs> Pow. Yes? Well, here he is. Tom <laughs> Pow.
2: Thank you very much. That's the most explosive introduction uh, I've ever had. Uh, It's lovely to be here. Uh, first poem I'm going to read is about magpies. Magpies are known for making incredible nests. They make this central core in which the eggs are laid, but they weave in all kinds of other things that catch their eye. Um, And quite often magpies come further into the urban world than than other birds. Uh, I suppose uh, this is an Edinburgh Festival magpie. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. Two rusty pieces of barbed wire, three dusty coals from an old gas fire, the charred stump of a table leg, the bejeweled dagger of a tour egg. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. The warm slant of a summer sun, the worn stock of a broken gun, one licorice Wellington boot, one playground bin of drained fruit shoots. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. The scree that falls from a castle rock, the tail feathers of a turkey cock, the loose change from a taxi driver, the bubbles from a Dead Sea diver. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. A flame from the fire-eater's fire, the brazenness of an out-and-out liar, a near-ring filched from a craft stall, the pinkish eye of a plastic doll. The shining skin of a Brussels sprout, the laughter of cues going in and out, a lock of hair from Rapunzel's tower, Princess Street in an August shower. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. A tent of children stare on stare, poetry's rhythms layer on layer. The magpie weaves into its nest what the magpie likes the best. And what the magpie likes the best is to welcome us all into its nest. Thank you. Uh, My friend Alistair Reid, who's reading at the festival tomorrow, has lived much of his life out with Scotland, and when he brought his son Jasper to Scotland for the first time when he was nine, after a while Jasper said, Daddy, why does everybody say sorry all the time? And I think we do in Scotland, even when people bump into us, we go, oh, sorry, sorry. So uh, these are all the sorries that uh, that I could think of. And uh, it's an update of a poem I wrote for a a book of um, poems by Scottish Poets for Children, The Thing That Mattered Most. I'm sorry I spilt the jug of milk. I'm sorry I banged the front door. I'm sorry turquoise isn't he quite green. I'm sorry my dog peed on your floor. I'm sorry I forgot your birthday, I'm sorry I really, really meant to call, I'm sorry I couldn't spell Pharaoh and didn't know the capital of Nepal. I'm sorry this soup is too salty, I'm sorry your toast is burnt, I'm sorry for the crumbs on the sofa, I'm sorry these gloves are seal fur, I'm sorry for Flodden and Culloden, I'm sorry for Genghis Khan, I'm sorry for locking myself out, I'm sorry I'm not Spider-Man. I'm sorry I missed the penalty, I'm sorry I didn't make the catch, I'm sorry the pies all ran out at the last Queen of the South football match. I'm sorry the world is starving. I'm sorry I didn't finish my sprouts. I'm sorry I'm full of iron brew. I'm sorry I wear my pants inside out. I'm sorry I couldn't get tickets to see Sean. I'm sorry for the credit crunch. I'm sorry for all the rain we've been having. I'm sorry it was supposed to be a pat, not a punch. I'm sorry for hunching my shoulders. I'm sorry for my glottal stop. I'm sorry Elvis never sang in Scotland. I'm sorry for the whole damn lot. I'm sorry I forgot to brush my teeth. I'm sorry for the ozone layer. I'm sorry for the space I take up. But you know, none of this seems fair. For none of us can live our lives, spending half of them on our knees. If we were so frightened of doing things wrong, we'd never have come down from the trees. So let's have a bonfire of the sorries we keep on the tics of our tongues. Let's grow up proud and straight and true, and not be so afraid of offending our mums. The beautiful South, Queen of the South, was mentioned uh, in that poem. And um, as you'll know, it's the only football team to be mentioned in the Bible in the Song of Solomon? It's one of the uh, trivial pursuit questions. What's the only football team to be mentioned in the Bible? Uh, the Song of Solomon. So there you go, that's something you've learned. Every day is a school day. <laughs> now, on uh, 24th of, of May this year, Queen of the South took on mighty Rangers in the Scottish Cup final. At half time, they were two goals down, and all seemed to be lost. But Queens fought back to two all, and they only lost the match by a lucky late goal. Uh, this poem is about the cup final day, and uh, of course, Queens are still in Europe, uh, we hope, until um, tomorrow night, and, um, but we live in hope. And uh, this poem is called Angus Bruce. And uh, Dumfries, by the way, is famed for its association with three very great men whose name begins with B. You might spot them when they, when they come along. Maybe you know them. Uh, you probably have heard of them, but you won't have heard maybe of Andy Aiken, uh, one of Queen's great longtime players. So here's Angus Bruce. In Queen of the South's 89th year, my friend Angus Bruce, yes, that Angus Bruce, won a newspaper prize. He was to be one of the Queen of the South mascots on their Great Cup final day. His dad, Kevin, was as excited as Angus, and so was his dad. So they were all there, three Bruces together, on Queen's Day of Days. Angus Bruce told me all about it later, how the mascots had their own changing room, and how they were called out one by one, and how Andy Aiken, think of it, Andy Aiken, took his hand. And when they walked out onto the famous Hampden pitch, past the scantily clad, twirling roquettes, Angus Bruce saw the mass of us all in the stands, waving our blue and white flags, raising our scarves and cheering, Queens! Queens! It was a fine sight. All the papers said so later, adding, at least Queens supporters had tasted victory that day. (laughs) I asked Angus Bruce what it had felt like at that moment, and it wouldn't surprise you to know he couldn't find the words, but proud would do for a start. Anyway... Angus Bruce, of all the lucky mascots, turned to the fans and waved. So my son and I saw him on the huge screen, waving. Angus Bruce waving at half of Dumfries. And Andy Aiken leant over to him then and said, I learned this later, keep waving. Angus Bruce letting everyone know it was our day. And it wasn't just Andy Aiken who held his hand. No, his distant kin, Robert the Bruce, was striding beside him. Angus Bruce's hand, small and slight in his. Robert the Bruce, dream team captain, who'd kicked off the wars of independence with a knife crime in Dumfries, smiled like a man familiar with the waving of flags and the support of a fanatical crowd. So, too, Robert Burns, who'd made his home in Dumfries and wrote Tam O'Shanter straight off on the banks of the Nith. If ever there was a man who knew all about celebration, a man who'd find the words for this day, it was surely him. Angus Bruce saw him smile at the rich comedy of it all, caught his dark eyes glimmer at each roquette. But now... The ghostly presence who took his hand was hardly bigger than he was with a small, damp, frail grasp. Oh, this one liked fine all the excitement in his imagination, the pirates yelling and flourishing their flags. But you could tell he found this bright stromash all a bit too much. J.M. Barry, who dreamt up Peter Pan in a garden by the sweet flowing Nith. So keep waving, said Andy Aiken, and Angus Bruce waved on and on. And though that day we were picked by rangers and told to wait another 89 years, yet we tasted enough of glory to warm us for a long, long time. And my point is not about victory or defeat or bragging up our small county town, but Bruce Burns and Barry do show that excellence happens anywhere and can touch us every one. At me, Angus Bruce held hands with greatness and shared it with a wave. Gretna fruchy, even Annan, in time will have its day. Um, Thank you. This is the, the last poem. Uh, Dumfries lies uh, on the edge of the county of Galloway, um, and this poem might be sponsored by the Galloway Tourist Board or, or the Milk Marketing Board. Take your pick, and it's true in everything except for its lack of mention of rain. Lots and lots of rain. Of all God's creatures, if I could have my way, I wouldn't be a bat in Madagascar, though few animals turn and twist in the air much faster, or a panther in Peru, though the rainforest paths seem endless and the birds fan their feathers just for you. Nor would I choose to be a timber wolf in Kazakhstan, though with one gleaming flash I'd take off your hand or a grizzly in the Rockies hiding a set of kitchen knives to catch my tea from deep within my pockets. No, of all God's creatures, if I could have my way, what I'd choose to be is a cow in Galloway. <laughs> no, I wouldn't choose to be a gembok in the savanna, or a viper sunning itself in the Copacabana, or a kaluga in the rainforest, or a sparrowhawk perched on new york's tallest on an albatross gliding over pacific heights i wouldn't even be a pet cat in ravelston dykes someone's not enjoying it no of all god's creatures if i could have my way what i'd choose to be is a cow in galloway Perhaps you think my choice a yawn. Perhaps you think my brain has gone. But I reply, have you ever been to Galloway? Have you been there in glorious May? For if you have, you'll have seen the sheen on the Galloway grass. Oh, there's no grass, richer, juicier, greener, sweeter. The sun comes down to stroke it, so each blade glows with health. This is Galloway's wealth. And each morning, if you're a Galloway cow, you wake up to a full plate, and another beside it, and another, and another, away over the soft green hills. The cows of Galloway, I swear, smile when the sun comes up. And meat, well, meat, I'm afraid, grows tough and passes on as it must, but milk, milk flows on like love, inheritance, and song through us all. And though it's not a choice for any creature to meet what is its fate, still I feel grateful to the cows of Kentire. at the time I was a holiday boy there. Cans of their milk we cooled on a marble slab till the cream rose, silken, buttery, and rich, a gift. I confess I hugged the cows of Kentire as they lay on the beach before our holiday house. They had necks like mother's waists, gentle eyes like polished stones. I knew, as the late sun fell from the summer sky, like a red ball of fire, how great were the cows of Kintyre. But though of the cows of Kintyre I sing, greater yet, pluckier and luckier, their milk even suckier, are the cows of Galloway. Oh yes, be in no doubt, Of all God's creatures, if I had my way, I'd be a moo-minded, grass-guzzling, masticating, ruminating cow in Galloway.
1: (laughs) Tom Cow, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. There he is, the Galloway cow himself. There's almost a rhyme with Tom Pow and Gallup... No, never mind, forget that. Okay. Now then, I can see there's some young people here, aged about one. Any one-year-olds here? <laughs> Wave your hand if you're one. Very good. If you're two? If you're 92? <laughs> no. Right, I tell you what, here's a little hand poem for you. It's quite quiet. Can you put your hand over there like that? Was that seagull? It was, wasn't it? Can you then put the other hand over the top and then mingle your fingers like that, do you see? Do some mingling, creative mingling, and then pull your hand through, <coughs> sorry I'm just getting on a bit, um, ah, yeah. ah, that's it, okay, pull your hands through like that, that's good, okay, some of the parents not bothering. <laughs> No, leaving it to the children, jolly good. And then we put our fingers up by the side of our nose, like that. You don't have to talk with that silly voice. I just like doing it, Okay. And then what you're going to do is, without taking your fingers off your face, you're going to open your hands without taking your fingers off your face. Here you go. Like that. All right. Looks like... Half of you can do it, and the other half can't. That's a whole binary experience for you to dwell on there. Anyway, and figure out why. In the meantime, while you sit there figuring, we have something very special. Poems come in all shapes and sizes and sounds, and we're gonna get a wonderful mixture of sounds now. Please welcome onto the stage, Carol Ann Duffy and John Sampson. What is going to happen?
3: Hello, I bet you're wondering which one's Caroline and which one's John. <laughs> I'm carol and um, I'm going to be reading a bit of fairy tale and some poems to you today. And I've brought along my best friend John, who has lots of wonderful and very special instruments that he's going to sort of join in with me. And I thought I'd start off with a bit of fairy tale about a very special queen called Queen Munch. And because this is a royal fairy tale, I've asked John to write Queen Munch her very own fanfare. Queen Munch. Queen Munch was big, with cheeks as red as tomato ketchup. She had shining ginger hair, which she wore in two plunk pigtails, like strings of best sausages. Her eyes were the colour of chutney, and her laugh was as loud and as deep as the moo of a cow on its way to be milked. She always wore a crown. A plain diamond one for the weekdays and a great ruby crown for the weekends. She wore purple or orange or scarlet frocks. She never called them dresses. And each one took six sewing maids seven Sundays to stitch. Queen Munch lived in Munch Palace, which looked a bit like a wedding cake. Her people loved her, and every Saturday morning they would come by bus, bike or donkey to watch The munching of the breakfast. First of all, the three servants of the queen's kitchen would march onto the palace balcony with a round polished table and a red velvet chair with the best china and cutlery and a solid silver teapot. The people would stare and point and talk excitedly as spoons and knives and forks glinted high up on the balcony. Suddenly the royal musicians would appear behind the palace gates and even the youngest child there would know that soon they would be playing the Queen Munch tune. There were no words to this tune, but it was lively and jazzy with trumpets and clarinets and banjos and no one with ears on each side of their head could hear it without wanting to dance. The royal musicians would shout
4: one, two,
5: three, four,
4: and
3: then swing into the music The whole crowd would start to hop and boogie, babies would bounce up and down in their prams and such a wonderful time would be had by one and all that by the time Queen Munch danced onto the balcony and plumped herself down on the red velvet chair, the joint was jumping. When the musicians had finished playing with a final happy yell from the trumpet, the three servants would begin to serve the Queen her breakfast from a trolley sparkling with gold and silver plates. At the same time, the royal cook would walk shyly onto the balcony in her white chef's hat next to the important reader of the menu. Boys and girls looked at everything with wishing eyes. The endless blue sky with its fluffy clouds like meringues, the yummy-looking palace, the jewels like boiled sweets in the great ruby crown. And then they would hear the big, booming, posh voice of the important reader of the menu for that Saturday's munching of the breakfast. Hear
4: ye, pay attention, listen up. Here is the menu for the breakfast of her majesty Queen Munch the Third on Saturday the 12th of summer, 2000 and Nice.
3: The important reader would pause then and look out at the silent, tender crowd. Sometimes a baby would cry until it was shushed by its mummy, or a little girl would accidentally let go of her yellow balloon and watched it float away into the blue air forever.
4: Three poached eggs from the golden goose, shouted the important reader. Ah, said the crowd.
3: Toast cut up into soldiers. Mmm, hummed the crowd. One
4: grilled prize-winning tomato from the royal greenhouse. Ooh. Five fried mushrooms picked fresh this morning, From a fairy circle. Yum. Every child, woman and man in
3: the crowd would be licking their lips by now as Queen Munch munched away on her balcony. Then they would begin to cheer and wave their pink and turquoise paper flags. Queen Munch would put down her teacup, belch loudly Uh. and get to her feet. Hooray, the crowd would roar, hooray. She would pat her tummy and look happily down at the huge crowd below her the hundreds of flags shivering like flowers in a breeze. She could see the town behind everyone, the churches and houses and schools and shops, just as splendid as gingerbread. And beyond the town was the edge of the big, dark forest, which separated Queen Munch's queendom from Queen Nibble's. Queen Nibble. What was she like? Was she fun? Did she like to laugh and bounce up and down on her mattress? Could she play snap and shout... ...at the top of her voice if she won? It was on a Saturday morning, just like any other, that Queen Munch first had the clever idea of inviting Queen Nibble to visit. I think we'll leave her there and do something a bit different. Now, you'll notice that... um, John has lots of instruments. He doesn't only collect instruments, but he collects songs and tunes from all over the world. And I have a poem called The Song Collector, which I'd like to read for John. Whenever I I read this poem, I think of John. So this is for you.
4: Thank you.
3: (laughs) The first song I gathered was that of a man locked up in a cell who sang to the mournful toll of the prison bell as I walked by. This morning I'm going to die, to die, and only the girl who loved me once knows why. The second song was sung by a lad in a lane where I swayed on a stile, swigging my ale. So I asked him to sing it again for a coin, and he did. This is simply the simple song a simple kid. Song three was trilled by a bunch of nuns, that was a Latin one, dominus, dominum, outside a church, and four, five, six, I picked from a farm, eye-high in corn, as I chanced my tattooed arm at harvesting. Stopped counting then, when I got to ten, and the next I knew I had more than a few to my repertoire, So I bought a guitar, played four to the bar, wandered wide and far with an ear for a humming lad or a yodeling girl, with an ear for a whistling train, for a foghorn ship, with an ear for percussion rain, for the tune the wind blows through the trees, with an ear for the birds and bees, yippees, for quavers, crotchets. Minims, do re oh, Thank you. <clears throat> Could we have a, a wee look? At yeah,
4: of, of
3: course,
4: yeah. Here's one for you now, it's called The Fairy Dance. So I expect to hear you all clapping away, dancing, all that sort of stuff, <laughs> leaping on the roof. Is that a roof? Is. Here we go. Sorry, I missed you, I'll try again. This one you need a very big mouth for. Just as well. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) And it goes a bit like this. remind you of? Could be an umbrella, it's true, or it could be walking stick, that's correct, or it could be time for a quick swim. That's all is. This is an old instrument called a crumhorn and it's even older than me. And uh, Good, I'm glad no one laughed at that. And, uh, <laughs> this is a tune it's, it's it's called Now it Is the Month of May? A gemshorn or a goat's horn, the last unicorn, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'll just give you a quick sound of what it's like. It's very gentle. I wanted to show you my little baby one.
5: Aww. See, look. My there it
4: is. And this is one you probably all know. Well, this is called the Garkline Flutter, by the way, but it doesn't really have a translation, but in Scots I call it the Daft wee Whistle.
5: <laughs>
4: it is a bit like this.
3: Ness Munster's husband. She's real. I married her and we bide in the lock, no wains. I'm a wee guy, but she's big as a legend or monster, The one who swims the dark, wet miles to the surface and sticks her neck out. I thought love was only true in fairy tales, but I went for a dip one day and saw her face. Now, I'm a Believer. Altogether and I hope you didn't mind me slipping a poem in
4: there. No, it's got one in. Be nice to do some more,
3: please. Oh. That's a surprise. <laughs> yes. I'll read three, eh? Good. And um, first poem is about a granddad, who in his youth was very famous, and the poem is called Ruti Tuti. Granddad used to be a pop star with a red and silver guitar. He wore leather jackets and drainpipe jeans. He drove around in limousines, waving to screaming fans. Fab, said Grandad, groovy. I really dig it, man. (laughs) Grandad used to have real hips. He swivelled and did the twist. His record went to number one. Grandad went like this. Rooty-tooty, yeah, yeah. Rooty-tooty, yeah, yeah. Rooty-tooty, yeah, yeah. Then Grandad met Grant. Gran was dancing under a glitter ball. Grandad was on bass. He noticed how a thousand stars sparkled and shone in her face. And although Gran fancied the drummer, Grandad persevered. <laughs> he wrote Gran 100 love songs down through their happy years. Grandad used to be a pop star, a rock and roll man, rooty-tooty, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Grandad loved groovy Gran. And here's another kind of love poem. I quite like writing poems about friendship or love between people who might find it difficult to get together. And um, here's a poem about a crow who falls madly in love with a scarecrow and vice versa. A crow and a scarecrow fell in love out in the fields The scarecrow's heart was a stuffed leather glove but his love was real. The crow perched on the stick of a wrist and opened her beak. Scarecrow, I love you madly, deeply, speak. Crow, rasped the scarecrow, hear these words from my straw throat. I love you too, from my boot to my hat, by way of my old tweed coat, croak crow crowed back. Scarecrow, let me take you away to live in a tall tree. I'll be a true crow wife to you if you'll marry me. The scarecrow considered. Crow, tell me how a groom with a broomstick spine can take a bride? I know you believe in the love in these button eyes, but I'm straw inside and straw can't fly crow pecked at his heart with her beak then flapped away and back and forth she flew to him all day all day until she pulled one last straw from his tattered vest and soared across the sun with it to her new nest and there she slept high in her tree winged in a bed of love night fell The slow moon rose over a meadow, a heap of clothes, two boots, an empty glove. Well, we're going to finish with one last poem, but I need John's help for this one. And this is a very complicated poem. It's a poem about the Queen of Scotland who is desperate for fish cakes for her tea. And um, I know that John will get me through this poem. (laughs) Fish cakes are his favorite.
4: Excellent.
3: every friday night through rain or snow through fog or thunder and lightning a man in a cloak with a royal flag on a coal black horse came riding he stopped at a shop in edinburgh town where the window glittered with fish stood in his stirrups flung down a purse and red-faced bellowed this fish cakes fish cakes fish cakes for the queen Fish cakes for the Queen of Scotland. Now some no hope, some no despair, and some what difference a wish makes. But the nightly dream of the rightful Queen was of six grilled Scottish fish cakes. Away he sped, cowl on head, fish cakes under his arm, past town and village, field and stream, past croft, cottage, farm, the cream of a stone of top-class spuds. A salmon prince and his bride, mixed with breadcrumbs, parsley, chives, were soon to be inside the Queen. Fishcakes, fishcakes, fishcakes for the Queen! Fishcakes for the Queen of Scotland! Some know the grind of a dog with a bone, some know the smash when a dish breaks, but nowt compared on the noise to the throne of the Queen gobbling up her fishcake.
1: Thank you. Way! Hey, the wonderful Carol Ann Duffy. And the chanter on legs, John Sampson. Why didn't he bring the pipes?
5: <laughs>
1: oh, no, that's the, it's the small pipes, that one, isn't it? You do that one, don't you? I do, yeah. That's the Northumberland one, isn't it? I like that one, too, though. You, you do both. So wonderful. Trying. Big round of applause for these two. Wonderful, Carol Ann, John. Hey, that, that last tune he played, does anyone know what that's called? Anyone know what that last tune is? Diddle. Does anyone know what that's called? No, no, it, it's the Lone Ranger. Some of you may not know that. A fiery steed with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty, hi ho, silver! The Lone Ranger. Oh, am I on my own on this? Okay, I was born in 1946. I want you to learn it. A fiery steed with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hardy, hi-ho, silver, the Lone Ranger. Do you think you could do that? Caroline's nodding. I think she was there with me. (laughs) Yes, Okay. Are you with me? Tom, yes, yes, indeed. No, everybody's younger than me. Oh, horrors. Okay. what is it? It's a fiery steed with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty hi-ho silver, the Lone Ranger. And then you do diddling diddling diddling, diddling diddling diddling. OK? And in fact, why don't we get John out again? Yes, John, I think you have to. Sorry. To just do, to do the diddling, diddle, diddlin You have to do that bit. Just um, Maybe my music's not quite up just to your standard.
5: Lone Ranger version.
1: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. OK, are we ready? We'll do it slowly. Uh, fiery steed with the speed of light. A cloud of dust and a hearty Hi-ho Silver, The Lone Ranger! Oi. Hey! Thank <laughs> <Hey. laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry>, Michael. <laughs> In The Lone Ranger there were two people. The Lone Ranger and his faithful, as they used to say in those days, Indian companion, Tonto. (laughs) And what people don't realize was that Tonto, because it was a subservient relationship, Tonto used to have to take the rubbish out. (laughs) And that explains the tune. Because in fact, the song goes to the dump, to the dump, to the dump, 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 to the dump. No, never mind. Okay, forget that. Right. (laughs) Hello, everybody. My name is Michael. Pleased to see you. When I was a boy. I thought that my mum and dad knew everything, absolutely everything. You know, I might be sitting there and I'd see in London one of those great big red red things going past and I'd say to my dad, what's that? And my dad would say, that's a bus (laughs) and I'd say, wow, (laughs) my dad knows everything. I'd say, oh, hang on a minute, dad. Um, those um, round things that are going round at the bottom, what are they called? And my dad would say, wheels. And I'd think, wow, my dad knows everything. And then I'd say, look, hang on a minute, hang on, hang on, look, um, how many are there? How many of those round things that are going round, how many are there? My dad would say, there are? Four. And I'd think, wow, my dad knows everything. Everything. But then came a terrible day when I found out that my dad doesn't know everything. And this is the way it was, and you'll be able to join in with this too. Here it goes. We sit down to eat, and the potato's a bit hot. So I only put a little bit on my fork and I blow. <laughs> Till it's cool, just cool, into the mouth. <laughs> nice. And there's my brother, he's doing the same. Till it's cool, just cool, into the mouth. Nice. And there's my mum and she's doing the same. was that kind of home. Till it's cool, just cool, into the mouth. Nice. But my dad, my dad, what does he do? He stuffs a great big chunk of potato into his mouth and that really does it. His eyes pop out. He blows, he puffs, he yells, he bobs his head up and down. He spits, spits a potato onto his plate. You could try this everybody, here you go. And he turns to us and he goes, watch out everybody, the potato's really hot. Well, we kind of knew that, didn't we, really? So that was the day that I found out that my dad does not know everything. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it starts when we're very, very young, doesn't it? There's some people here who are very, very young. Some of them have even got buggies. And you older people, come on, admit it. Wouldn't you like to ride in a buggy? Just imagine it, you know, like whizzing down the street. Someone's pushing you. The wind's going past, you know, it's like (laughs) G-force. Faster, Mum! Mind the tree! be brilliant, wouldn't it? And some of the people here are lucky enough to still be in a buggy. And I thought, I would like to be in a buggy. I've got a three-year-old and he still likes me and I'm very jealous. I get quite angry because I want him to push me. So I had to write a poem, thinking about what it would be like to be in a buggy, zooming down the street. I glide as I ride in my boogie woogie buggy, take the corners wide, just see me drive. I'm an easy speedy baby doing the baby buggy jive. Yeah, I'm in and out the shops, I'm the one that never stops, I'm the one that feels the beat of the wheels all that air in my hair. I streak down the street between the feet that I meet. I streak down the street between the feet that I meet. No one can catch my boogie woogie buggy. No one's got the pace. I rule this place. I'm a baby who knows. I'm a baby who goes, baby goes. Now, No, no, that's the easy bit. Now, you've got to do it. Oh, yes. OK, we'll see how we get on. Some of it, it's got, like, kind of predictive moments in it. It's called rhyme. Um, Right, here we go. Which is quite rare for me, so here we go. I glide as I ride in my take the corners wide, just see me drive. I'm an easy, speedy baby doing the baby buggy jive. Yeah. I'll do that again. Yeah. I'm in and out the shops. I'm the one that never I'm the one that feels the beat on the wheels. All that air in my air. I streak down the street between the feet that I meet. I streak down the street between the feet that I meet. No one can catch my boogie woogie buggy. No one's got the Pace, get ready for this bit. I rule this place. I'm a baby who knows. I'm a baby who goes, baby. Goes, and you have to do this last bit. One more time. One more time. Very good. You clap yourselves. Yes. When I was at school, it's not like for you It's nice at school, isn't it? No, it is. It's lovely. I've heard about it. It is. It is. So it is, so it is. It is, so it is. It is. I've heard it's nice. I've heard that at your school, you sit round tables, don't you? You'll sit round in a little group with your mates, as we say in London, with your pals, like you're having a picnic. Well, it wasn't like that in my day because I was brought up in the Stone Age. (laughs) And in the Stone Age, we didn't have those lovely little table things. We had desks. Great big wooden desks with lids. Would you like to lift the lid of your desk? Get your thumbs around the lid. You're going to lift it up. Here it goes. Er Okay, and you can close it. Er (laughs) Lift it again. And in the desk, you've got your exercise books, as we used to call them, and a ruler, and a pencil, and your chewing gum. No, not your chewing gum! (laughs) And I, in the Stone Age when I was at school, something terrible happened. Far worse even than's happening to that little person there. (laughs) It was much worse. Believe me, sunshine. And we'll come to you later. We weren't allowed to breathe. We had a teacher who was so strict, she didn't let you breathe. Can you imagine that? You came into school and she'd say, no breathing. Can you say that? No breathing. And now follow up the order. You had to get right the way through, from the time you came to school to morning play. It wasn't the whole day; you had the whole morning. It's all right, till eleven fifteen. Here we go. The weak ones just used to keel over and die. You'd hear them going down at the back of the class. Cupum, Can you do that? Cupum, cupum, There was always a whiny kid going. Can I go and do some breathing? Can you do that? Me, can I go and do some breathing? And she'd say, no! You've got all playtime to do it in. Go on, me, go on. You can do that bit, it's a moany bit. You can do that, here we go. You're quite, oh, go on. Me. Really good, yeah. Do you know, at the beginning of the week, there were 48 kids in my class. 48. How many? 48. Remember that. 48 kids in my class. At the end of the week, there was only five of us left. (laughs) At the end of the day, you'd be just stepping over kids just to get out the room. Oh, no! Oh, no! I didn't realise the echo machine had arrived. Oh, no! (laughs) Lovely. Oh, no, there's Melanie. That's a shame. She's really nice. Used to like Melanie. Fancy Melanie, actually. There's Dave, yeah. Hard luck, Dave. Always knew you were a bit weak, Dave, yeah. So some of us figured out what you had to do to survive. To survive, exactly. Remember what I told you about the desks? Some of us figured out that if you lifted up the desk, you could snatch a quick breath (laughs) under the desk lid. And she wouldn't know. Once more, from the beginning, we'll do the no breathing. All the other stuff, I'll lead you in it. And then we're going to get to the breathing underneath the desk lid. Here it goes. She says, one, two, three, no no breathing. (sighs) The weak ones. Boom. The whiny one. Can I go and do some breathing? No! You've got all playtime to do it in. Aslot with the desk lid, are you ready? You're holding your breath. Check nobody's looking. Under the desk lid. And down goes the desk lid. Boom! No! Don't slam your desk lid. Because that meant out, school prison. (laughs) There was a school prison underneath the school hall where they used to string us up from the wall bars. (laughs) Miss, I've been up here for three weeks. (laughs) And there's rats. And they're nibbling my toenails, miss. So I figured it out what you had to do. You had to put your thumbs round the edge of the desk lid. So when it went down, it made no noise at all. Just had to go down very, very quietly. So once more, from the beginning, I think you know how it goes. She says, No. no. I was quite good at it. <laughs> the weak ones. Ka-boom, ka-boom, ka-boom. The whiny one. Miss! Could have gone out and do some breathing? No! You've got all playtime to do it in. on! am on! These other kids. Ready? With the desk lid. Look both ways.
5: <laughs> Boom!
1: Out! School prison. Wool bars. Let's see you, mums and dads as well. You remember it? Oh no, Scotland's a more civilised place than England, I forgot. Up from the wall bars. Mees, I've been up here for? Three weeks. And there's? Back. And they're nibbling my? So Me. Thumbs round the edge of the desk lid. Have you got it? Hold your breath. Check nobody's looking. And that was the way to. That was the way to. Excellent. You clap yourselves for that. Lovely. (laughs) I was thinking that baby, it wasn't long ago when that baby was inside its mummy. Hands up here, anybody who wasn't inside their mummy. (laughs) Right, he wasn't. Neither was he. That's good. No, you weren't. That's interesting. Well, that'll be explained later by David Attenborough or somebody. Yeah, that's good. Here's something about being inside your mum, because I have a funny feeling that pretty well most of us were. I think I'm on quite strong biological grounds there. Here we go. I'm in my mum. Where am I? I'm in my mum. On one hand, one. On the other hand, another. Another. In here I hear Chaboomsha, 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 my heart. Chaboomsha, 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 my heart. In here I hear Kaboom, 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 my mum's heart. Kaboom, 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 my mum's heart. In here together we go Chaboomsha. Chaboomsha, chaboomsha, kaboom. Chaboomsha, 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 kaboom. Where am I? I'm in my mum. So let's do that all together. Here we go. I'm in my mum. On one hand, one thumb. On the other hand, another thumb. In here, I hear chaboomsha, chaboomsha, chaboomsha. My heart, cha-boom-sha, cha sha cha sha In here, I hear kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. My mum's heart, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. My mum's heart. In here, together we go, cha-boom-sha, cha sha cha sha kaboom. This side cha shas That side kabooms. Chaboom sha, chaboom sha, sha. Where am I? I'm in my mum. Lovely, very good, lovely. Oh right, I've got to stop. Okay, I'm gonna to have to stop. Lindsay, the governor, in Yiddish, that's known as a gubber. Okay, can you say Lindsay the gubber? Lindsay the gubber in Yiddish, that's right, it says I've got to stop, we'll just finish with a little song that goes like this, I know an old bloke, and his name is Lord Jim, and he has a wife who throws tomatoes at him, now tomatoes are juicy, don't injure the skin, but these ones they do, they're inside a tin, thank you. Tom, i to come. <laughs> Caroline, John, here are the poets for today. There they are. There they are. Thank you for coming. Thank you Edinburgh Festival.
0: I'm really sorry. I, is the least favourite job in the world is to Tell them they've got to shut up and go on but there's somebody else due in here now they're all going to go and sign books and if there's anything you want to ask them i'm sure they'll be delighted to chat to you in the in the next tent but a big thank you all for coming a big thank you for paying attention so beautifully especially the buggy occupiers and i think you need to give yourself a big round of applause for being such a
5: splendid audience